Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we are going to talk about sibling loss, which I know is a huge issue for you. And we're also going to be in the area of surviving after someone has died by suicide. So we are going to talk about recovering for the trauma of grief. So how do you want to introduce our guest? I would love to. Our guest today is Maggie Bauer. I have been trying to get Maggie on the show for quite a long time. She knows this. She is a rising star at Compassionate Friends. She is extremely involved with the siblings there. She is also Christopher's little sister. Christopher died by suicide, unfortunately, in 2012. And this was Maggie's only sibling. For the past eight years, Maggie has been involved in giving talks, teaching education classes on grief, and, you know, just basically working with around sibling loss to, to build awareness for people and to get, give support. She has been a sibling loss facilitator for the Compassionate Friends and the Brighter Days Grief Center. This year, she received the prestigious Karen Snap Outstanding Sibling Award. And I was given it in 2020. And again, the Compassionate Friends gives it. For those of you that don't know about the Compassionate Friends, it is the largest peer-to-peer -peer support organization in the world for people that have lost siblings, grandchildren, and children. And she just got a certification as a grief educator through David Kessler. So welcome to our show, Maggie. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, today, uh, the day that we're recording is actually my brother Chris's, um, what would have been his 42nd birthday. So it's pretty special to um, to be honoring him in this way with with you today so thank you yeah he was he was um as an adult he was a carpenter and um just a really tall handsome uh loving guy and um he's dearly missed my family including chris and my parents lived in minnesota at the time and i lived in north dakota so i was about nine hours away from the family uh when chris died and uh i obviously drove home and spent nine days with my family. And then uh, I had to go back to my old life where mm -hmm. I didn't have my family surrounding me. I also knew I was working on a wild horse research project during that time. Oh. And I realized that I couldn't come home and drop everything that I was working on in North Dakota and be everything for my parents. There's no possible way. There's no way to replace Chris. I couldn't pretend to try to be him for them. I I couldn't. I knew that that I I stayed in North Dakota for another year after Chris died, and I knew that is what I needed to do in order to grieve for myself. And I also mm -hmm. kind of knew that my parents maybe needed that too, because if I were there as you both know, there's an aspect of sheltering your own grief from your loved ones, even those that we love so much. We can't always have 
just those honest heart to heart conversations. Like sometimes we just have to do that grieving on our own. And I didn't want to go home for the holidays uh, after Chris died. And so I asked my parents to come out and visit me and they did. And uh, my sweet mom, I feel like I won the mom lottery with my mom. She's wonderful. And uh, she, she was attached to the hip with me. I mean, just mm -hmm. literally every room that I went into, she came into. Well, and, was that because she needed your support or was, was it because she thought something was going to happen to you too? Probably both. Okay. I, I think me, I think a little bit of both. I think she mm -hmm. needed to be near me because we comforted each other. And yeah. also, you know, she lost her oldest only son. Mm -hmm. And what now? Because yeah. I am the more um, adventurous one and the more the one that would take more risks. Mm -hmm. So what now? Yeah, I could see that because you are. Yeah. I remember getting very paranoid about the other kids. And how were you feeling about that? At the time, I, I, I think I recognized what it was, you know, but then they had to leave. You know, they moved back. They went back to Minnesota and then I was back you know, working. So I worked with wild horses or research wild horses, but I was also working at um, a juvenile facility in North Dakota. And that was pretty fascinating because um, <laughs> when I, the day that I got the news, I, I didn't tell work in a professional way. I basically just blurted it out to them and said, mm -hmm. I have to go home. And in that, then the, the workers found out and some of the kids found out. And I kind of wished that that hadn't happened that way, um, but it did. And um, some of the kids actually came up to me after I came back to work and we had some, some really heart to heart conversations that I know would have never happened had Chris not died by suicide because they were able to open up and talk about, you know, the losses they'd had in their family. Mm -hmm. right. Well, and I would think if they had had suicide, it would have been a real opportunity for them to connect and be able to tell their story and open up. Because I mean, as you know, Maggie, the, the, the issue with suicide is that no matter how our siblings die, we need support. And I often hear people say, well, they died by suicide, so I don't even know how to talk to the person, so I just won't even say anything. Absolutely. Um, there were family members that wanted to call it a work accident and not a suicide. Mm -hmm. And that term suicide is so general. But then when you hear the suicide stories, they're, they're very specific to the person that died. There's, there's, there's a lot of differences. Being raised in a religious family, there, um, there's a lot of shame surrounded by the word suicide. Mm -hmm. And in order to work through that, uh, it, it takes a lot of effort. And how, how do you work? How does one work through that? Do you think? What are things that help people to work through it? Specifically for me, I felt like my brother's death was a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And it took me years and different trainings and even outside trainings. There was a, a neurological nurse that I was going to um, her talk at a conference for the, the people that I was working with. So it had nothing to do with my brother. But the way that she, she spoke about certain things helped me understand that, you know, my brother had been a carpenter. He had um, hit his head throughout his life a couple of times. Mm -hmm. He had fallen off a ladder the summer before he died. And this is speculation, but 
there is so many pieces about suicide that are speculation. We didn't get a note. So, so he had some head trauma prior to his death. That is a fact. Yeah. So for me to figure out what the puzzle pieces were, pick them up, look at them, and then attempt to put them in the, in a puzzle. And truthfully, they're, they're, the puzzle's never going to be complete. And I mm-hmm. had to accept that and, and figure that piece out. So there might always be questions. And for many, I think for many of us, there's questions. How did it happen? Why did it happen? Uh, how did they die? You know, how did he take his life? And is that okay to ask people? That's a great question. And I'm going to mm-hmm. give you my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, what we say in my family is it's really not important how he died. It's important how he lived. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's us- the interesting piece, Maggie, because people are always fascinated by how our brothers died. Once we tell them, they just move on to the next thing. And I'm like, well, now we want to talk about them, Christopher and Scott and what they were like, et cetera. I'm wondering, did, did being with these wild horses and all your experience with horses, has it helped you? Does it help people heal? And if so, how? Mm -hmm. Oh, awesome question. So my maternal grandfather, the one that also taught Chris his beginning carpentry skills, um, brought me to the first place where I got to horseback ride and I was nine years old. So I was taking riding lessons as a nine-year-old, <clears throat> just head wow. over heels for horses. Mm-hmm. Um, and that love never went away. They're just incredible sentient beings and they are able to be present. That, that, that is their life is to be present. Mm-hmm. And those of us that are just in our heads so much reminds us to you know, when the horse just changes their gaze from where they are to looking, you know, further in the distance, okay, recognize that. What are they looking at? And how can I be more present in my own life and be more present with my own grief? So yes, when Chris died, I was researching wild horses and hiking throughout um, Theodore Roosevelt National Park and that was 46,000 acres. And my job was to find a different group of horses. Well, basically all the mares throughout the week. And then it would start over the next week. So my job was to hike my butt off in a national park. Now mm-hmm. think about that when we understand trauma and we understand mm-hmm. movement and we understand physical activity and how those things can have a positive impact on processing grief. So. I just happen to be, have this incredible job where I'm hiking and I'm often on my own too, but it's okay because I'm surrounded by incredible nature. And then I get to go observe horses. So like you said, walking and hiking and being in nature moves the trauma through our bodies. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. it does. What did you then move on to from horses uh, as far as your grief training went? Just that one tool wasn't enough. It would never be enough. I moved back a year later and I told my parents, I said, I said, look, I'm going to go to Compassionate Friends. You're welcome to come with me, but I'm going. So as you guys know, the story is usually that the parents drag the siblings. Well, the siblings drug her parents. Compassionate Friends is a wonderful peer-to-peer organization. And uh, there weren't, uh, the first, I think a couple 
um, there was an interview with a sibling and that that was our, our speaker for the day. And then there were a couple other siblings in the room. So I felt uh, just a connection to other siblings. Where did you learn the grief recovery method? How did you decide to go into that? So when I came home um, for Chris's funeral, uh, I actually had an interview to get into grad school for social work. And I wanted to go into specifically into grief work. Mm -hmm. And I did the interview and it went well. And I, I was honest with them and just said, you know, you know, I hope I get in, but I don't know if I'll be able to handle the workload uh, with, you know, what's just happened in my life. And I, I feel like I made the right decision. So instead of choosing to go to grad school, I chose to get um, the certified grief recovery method, um, the certification to become a specialist. I'm so willing to work on my grief. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people don't want to sit in it and be in it and, and be active grievers because it hurts and it's hard work. It is hands down. The hardest work that I've done in my life is to take each step and move through the grief and find hope. I think that's well said that um, there are people who do want to do it in a family and there yeah. are people who don't want to do it. And sometimes you have to step out there. So what's the first step of being an active griever in your mind? In a way, grief is is selfish because it, because it is happening to you and it is yours. And letting it be that is okay. And also recognizing that those around you may have a different style. And I think that's really big for siblings, Maggie, because sometimes we don't feel like we have the right to our grief. We might not think that our grief, because society might tell us that our grief isn't as important as our parents' grief. I mean, our, my parents weren't telling me that other people were. So, you know, it's like you said, acknowledging and validating that we have had the hardest loss for us imaginable. You know, I think I, I like that you're saying that. I think it's super important. Absolutely. And, and there's different schools of thought on this. Um, but as obviously coming onto a podcast, I'm the type of person that wants to share. And mm -hmm. I have had to learn to advocate for myself. And advocating for myself might look differently. So advocating for myself was being able to go to different grief coalitions. And then when I was ready to get certified and then get the experience of being able to speak to different people about my loss and how it relates to their loss, because that's so important to walk into a room full of grievers and, and say, okay, my loss of Bubby is unique to me, nobody else in the world, but there are threads of grief and the experiences behind grief that we can all feel a commonality about. And that's what's important. I will do my best to never say, I understand how you feel because I don't just like a parent. Okay. They lost their son or daughter, a grandparent lost their grandchild and another sibling could have lost an older brother, only sibling to suicide, but they didn't grow up in my family. 
What are the couple of, of the threads of grief? Isolating, loss of concentration. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say that these are pretty common things, you know, the change in sleep patterns, the ability to, to communicate effectively shifts. How do we put into words everything that is in our hearts? Yeah, and I really like that idea of threads of grief because, and the uniqueness of grief for everybody, um, depending on who you lost and uh, all that, and your personality. And uh, well, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Yes, absolutely. I do have a website, um, mbgriefrecovery.info. I'm near Taylor's Falls, Minnesota, and recently purchased with my partner a 32 acre hobby farm, and we'll be doing um, grief education on the farm with the horses. Wow. wow. Love a, it. A wonderful idea. Uh, animals and pets. Uh, they're always happy to see you. Exactly. Right. And we just need, <laughs> <laughs> we need that reminder. We need something silly. We need, we need to find um, hope in nature, in animals, in the sweet moments of life that we feel like might not ever come back, but they do. I, I love that, Maggie. And can you give people the online sites where you frequent for sibling support? Because I know you're out there doing a lot of support and giving and getting a lot of support. Yes. So the biggest one is uh, TCF Sibs, S-I-B-S. There's also the Sound of Siblings. Those are both through the Compassionate Friends. Um, and um, I have my own Facebook, uh, that's MB grief recovery. So everybody, every single person today can get support because these are all virtual sites and they're all free, which I love. And you can find Maggie on them because she's very active and they're supporting our siblings. And I love that. Thank you very much for building awareness and for being such an amazing support system out there, Maggie. Well, I appreciate you guys interviewing me today and taking the time and letting me uh, share about Chris on his birthday. Uh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you again. And it is a dear sweet thing that is Chris's birthday today and happy birthday to you, Chris, wherever you are. Yes. And, and, uh, and I know that Chris is your guiding light. And we want to thank everybody for joining us on the show today and Heidi and I, and I'm sure um, Maggie also want to say to you, if you've lost hope, Please lean on ours until you find your own, and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.